0: Hello, my name is Ben Schluter, and welcome to Outward Thoughts. Um, this is, of course, episode 9. Now, I want to preface this one by saying that, yes, it is a bit shorter, and it is a bit less opinionated, and that's because I'm getting ready this week to move into my apartment. Um, I should also note that there will not be An episode coming out on Saturday it'll probably be out on Sunday and it'll again be a bit shorter I need to get you know settled in and all so if you want to listen to a more long-form one that'll be next Wednesday so before we get into anything of course here uh, let's answer the trivia question that I posed last episode and the question was how many days are in a regular Burmese year A, 350, B, 354, C, 360, or D, 363? The correct answer is B, 354. Now, today's episode isn't really about, like, actual things that I think about. They are just me talking about six Wikipedia articles that I have found through my random browsing that I thought were kind of interesting for one reason or another. And we'll start with a very short one. Uh, It is a stream in Jackson County, Missouri, and it's known as Lazy Branch, and I found it to be interesting just because of its name. Uh, So Lazy Branch, oh okay, well maybe it's because the stream flows lazily. No. Lazy Branch was so named, and I'm quoting here, was so named by W.C. Dingle. First of all, his name was W.C. Dingle. Godlike name. He, quote, thought the settlers along the stream lazy because they preferred to hunt and run horses rather than work. Or this does come from the State Historical Society of Missouri. That, I don't know, I just found that funny. I found that funny. The next one is also going to be a bit short, and it seems random. So, this is the 1991 World Women's Curling Championship, branded as the 1991 Canada Safeway World Women's Curling Championship. Now, this seems random. It seems out of the blue. And that's because it pretty much is. It's a curling match, or series. And, yeah, it was just a round-robin tournament. And there were teams from 10 countries. Now, first thing I should mention is that, and you'd expect some of these countries, Uh, there was Austria. Hey, they do pretty well in the Winter Olympics. Of course, you have Canada. You have Denmark. France. Okay, that seems a bit weird, but you know, it's not out of the blue. Germany. Hey, they're pretty decent. And a lot of things. Norway. Oh, yeah. Scotland. Seems a bit weird, but the Scots invented the sport. So, there's a good reason for them to be there. Sweden, obviously. They're very good at this sport. Switzerland. Makes sense. And the United States, because of course we're there. But we sent of all things... So, like, most of those countries, they're in cold places normally. Okay, you don't think of France as being that cold, but... France can get really cold, and ice is pretty common around there. None of these areas have, like, the American South. And when we send curling teams, they're usually from Minnesota, North Dakota, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin. For the 1991 World Women's Curling Championship, we sent a team from Houston- I don't know how that happened. I'm not surprised that there's a curling club in Houston because it's a big city, so there's going to be something there, but they qualified as our representative on the world stage. Now, maybe they were pretty good. Well, no, actually, they were awful, and they finished uh, tied for last place because this was a round-robin tournament. They only had one win. Austria also went 1-8. Yep, The eventual winner of the tournament, by the way, though you probably don't care, was Norway. They beat Canada in the final. But I just found it kind of funny that we would send a team from Houston for curling. Just because, like, you don't think of the South anyway, but especially a weird ice sport like that. But we did it. The next one is a game, a football game from 1998, the Southern vs. Prairie View A&M football game. Here's a little bit of background uh, going into this, Prairie View A&M was- I don't think there's a word to describe how bad they were. They hadn't won a game in about 9 years. Okay, that's actually a pretty apt description of how bad they were. Yeah, basically in like 1988, uh, they went through this big scandal thingy that eventually led to all of the coaches getting fired, and I think they didn't even have a football season. Then they came back, had absolutely no foundation, and lost, and then lost again, and kept losing, and then they didn't win in 1989 or 1990 or 1991, or 1992, or 93, or 94, or 95, or 96, or 97, coming into 1998, and coming into this game, they'd lost 79 straight football games. That is by far the worst losing streak. And they were playing Southern. This was the second game of the season. Now, they played it in Texas, at Beaumont, Texas, they played it on a neutral field for some reason, or quote unquote neutral, Um, it was played in the stadium of Lamar, which at the time did not have a football team, so I don't know why the hell they were playing it there either, it doesn't make any sense, and yeah, this game doesn't seem that big unless Prairie View A&M won it, and they didn't. They won the next game, but they didn't win this game. So what makes this game so big? Absolutely nothing. That happened between the two football teams, but there was an incident that happened on the field that was pretty noteworthy. So if you're not aware of how HBCUs are, they're very proud of their bands, especially Southern, which has the best band of them all by far. They're known as the Human Jukebox, and if you want to fight me on who's got a better band, then <laughs> just listen to them. But Prairie View a they're good at a band, too. They know how to run a music program, too. And it can get feisty sometimes. Southern had a 10-0 lead at the half. And then, for, for some reason, at halftime, the marching bands got into a fight. I just, the marching bands started fighting is not something I ever expected to read in my life. But nope, they just started fighting. Yeah, it didn't end up going so well. By the way, the final score was Southern 37, Prairie View A&M 7. They got their asses handed to them. But in the aftermath of it, The Southwestern Athletic Conference, or the SWAC, suspended both marching bands for the next couple games, and they said, quote, The band's actions violate provisions of the SWAC constitution and bylaws governing unsportsmanlike conduct at athletic events. Or, to put it another way, You're not allowed to fight. Y'all are bands. That's especially bad. Like... Think about this. Okay, football players getting into a brawl is one thing. They have helmets and all of that as weapons, but you have a bunch of percussionists, and they're really good at keeping rhythm and time, but they also have big sticks. I'm just saying that's a bit more dangerous to me. Because they could rat-a-tat-tat on your head in perfect rhythm. Yeah. Apparently, seven Prairie View band members reported injuries. Here's the other problem, though. Southern's band? They honored the suspension. Prairie View's did not. Now, granted, Prairie View had also lost the past 80 games, so I think a better punishment would have been to watch the football team, although they then won their next game, so... Never mind that. But yeah. I just thought that was absolutely hilarious when I read it. The next thing that I want to bring to your attention is the Bradford and Foster Brook Railway. This is something that sounds pretty random. And it kind of is. But you've definitely seen another railway like it. Because it's not a traditional railway. It was the first... Of its kind, probably. It was one of the earliest of its kind. And you've never seen it, but you've seen a copy of it. If you've ever been to Disney World, you have. Because this was a monorail. It was one of the first monorails in America. It was, uh, basically, there was a demonstration of a monorail in 1876. Uh, it was known as the Centennial Monorail, and that one was, and I didn't actually double check this one, okay, so the monorail was not a new concept. It had already been done in France, but in the U.S. it was very new, and, uh, in Pennsylvania, basically, and so, what I should note is that the Centennial Monorail was built for the 1876, uh, Centennial of the signing of the Declaration of Independence uh, at the Centennial International Exhibition, which was the first official World's Fair in the U.S., um, which is a big deal. That's a huge deal. But this one was like, hey, what if we took that idea and we redid it, and because it was in uh, a boomtown... Because, if you don't know, Pennsylvania was a booming place for oil in the 1870s. A lot of natural resources in uh, Pennsylvania. That's where they used to get a lot of oil from, actually. It seems kind of weird, because you wouldn't ever really think of Pennsylvania of all places, but yes, it actually was um, in the 1870s. It was a bit of a problem with this thing, though. Muddy tracks. They were building it on ground. They didn't pave roads because this was 1877. Cars weren't really a thing yet. So. Yeah. I'm reading through this because I hadn't actually read through this whole article the whole way. But. It was kind of interesting. They closed it in 1879. uh, Just a year after it opened. And yeah. I thought it would be interesting, and then I read through it, and it's not that interesting, so sorry for wasting your time. Don't worry, because the last two articles that I have are things we can actually talk about for a long time. And the first one is Americana, or Americana. I don't know exactly how to pronounce it, because I don't speak Portuguese. And it's in the state of Sao Paulo, not to be confused with the city of Sao Paulo, in Brazil. Yes, they are two different things. Now, in South America, they consider the whole continent of America. There isn't really much of a concept of like South America and North America. Pan-Americanism is more common. The thing is, this city isn't named after like Pan-Americanism. It's named after the United States of America. But why would you name a random city after the United States of America? Because it was founded by Americans in 1866. Now, if you know a little bit about timing, you might notice that 1866 is a pretty... You might notice that's a time frame that makes some sort of relation to another. And yes, this has to do with the Civil War. So, here's the thing about post-Civil War United States. For many enslavers, and I refuse to call them slave owners for the purposes of this thing, because they didn't own them. They couldn't own them. You can't own a person. Though it was codified into law, that does not mean you can do it. So they were enslavers. Um, they didn't want to stop doing that because it was making them too much profit. Which, you know, thinking about it from the I only want money standpoint, I can kind of see it. If you only care about money, you want to keep making money. If that's the only way you've known, you want to do something about it. Well, what they realized was, we can't do this whole business of slavery here. If only there were another place we could do it. And then they heard about Brazil. Because Brazil was a... the only country in the Western Hemisphere that had not outlawed slavery. They outlawed it in Brazil in 1888. So that's... That is 23 years I did the math right. Yes, 23 years. So, for a lot of them, for a lot of uh, former Confederates, they thought, hey, you know what makes sense? We can just move to Brazil and keep doing the same shit. So they did it. 1866, a bunch of former Confederates moved to a city that... I'm trying to see what the name of this city is was when they moved there it doesn't look like it has a name actually it didn't really have a name for the city until they came there it was property between a couple municipalities uh, that eventually became a large city because it was just a random place and now it's a city with a population of over 200,000 this is a huge city Okay, it was known as apparently Vila dos Americanos until 1904, uh, when it was actually not an independent city, and it became an independent city in 1953. But, just let me explain. So, there is actually a thing uh, called Confederados, or Confederados. I don't know where to put the um, accent, because I don't speak Portuguese. I'm going to be saying that a lot, because... I don't speak Portuguese. Yeah, about ten to 20,000 Confederates just moved to Brazil after the Civil War. They just moved there. The descendants of whom still live in Brazil to this day. It's a small little... It's a smaller group, but it's like... There. Um... And just reading through it, because I hadn't exactly read... I'm just going to be honest with you, I hadn't read through these articles before actually looking through this, I just thought it was interesting and I wanted to do that with everyone. Um, And it is very interesting to look through this. The first confederado was Colonel William H. Norris of Alabama, he left with 30 confederate families and arrived in Rio de Janeiro on the 27th of December 1865. The settlers quickly gained a reputation for honesty and hard work. They brought modern agriculture techniques for cotton as well as new food crops. Huh. So some dishes like southern fried chicken got introduced into there. Oh now. Oh that makes me wonder. What the hell did they do? What do- Do Brazilians have a- Is there a version of fried chicken that you can get like in this region in Brazil that like tastes different? Because I need to have that. Because, like, I don't know, sometimes I just get hungry reading through this stuff. Because it's like, oh my god, that sounds so delicious. Now, one thing about the city itself is that the old flag of the city, um, its coat of arms had its coat of arms on there, and the coat of arms looked like the Confederate flag. And then they changed it. There's an official song of the city, and it says, in part, the many confederates brought us the wheelbarrow, watermelon, cotton, and the plow. Oh. The city celebrates an annual confederate festival. The confederate flag is prominently displayed, men dress as confederate soldiers, and the lost cause ideology is endorsed. Oh. Great. That's not, that's not good at all. No, that's just... That's terrible. Why? Why? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Huh. This is like, just seeing that, I didn't, I, in case you can't tell, I did not read that beforehand. Reading that for the first time makes me like, oh, yeah, I should have figured there would have been something fucked up about this. Yeah. So if you, I didn't really get into this. So if you're not aware about the whole confederates moving there and the confederados like i didn't know there's a specific term for it but i know the general idea of it so basically many confederates they moved to brazil after um the passage of the 13th amendment uh to continue their horrible practices because um, it was legal there until 1888 like i said and like that just became a thing that that just became a thing They learned how to speak Portuguese there. Their descendants learned how to speak Portuguese. They're just a part of the culture now. But I just... You really didn't have to have a festival where you're pushing this lost cause myth bullshit. Damn it, Brazil. And if you don't under... Okay, so let me try and explain this to you. If you don't know that Brazil is pretty racist, that's fine. It's Brazil and not many people think about Brazil as much as they should but like brazil is super duper racist when they lost a world cup final in uh their home stadium the maracanã uh they had a black goalkeeper and they were wearing white so they decided never to do those two things again for a while uh the f- the one with the kit they only wear their gold kit that's the only kit they have that's just a uh, big stereotype uh superstition which you know what that's a that's an okay thing superstitious about what you're wearing but yeah the black goalkeeper thing yes that's a thing that happened i should mention that they have since i think it 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 took them like 60 years it took about 60 years but they did not have a black goalkeeper and if you know about Brazil, yes, there are a decent number of black people there and people of color. They were making sure they had a white goalkeeper. Cuz a reminder, because slavery was legal there for 20 plus years after the United States, there are there were some remnants of that trade going on. That that is major fucked up if you can't tell. Brazil's a pretty messed up country. Well, I mean, them actively electing a fascist who is pretty open about his fascism. If that isn't enough. And the fact that their last two presidents are in jail for corruption. Um, <laughs> yeah, Brazil is a messy place. Brazil's a very messy place. And this thing is an interesting part of their history. It's an interesting part of American history, too. And it's kind of sad to me. I like it. Granted, I also have this weird... Well, it's not that weird, but, uh... And maybe eventually I'll go into it, but I do have a pretty staunch hatred of anything Confederate States of America. And anything pro-Confederacy. Um... And it isn't, like, one of those oh-white-guilt-stupid things. No, it's, like, a high you killed Americans and you got away with... Okay, this may actually be on the next podcast episode. I might go into it. But... Basically, the Confederates got off pretty easily when they shouldn't have gotten off with anything. And by God, were y'all lucky that Andrew Johnson was the vice president under Lincoln. The softest son of a bitch that could have possibly been uh, president in Reconstruction. The softest son of a bitch. How did Ulysses S. Grant, you know, the guy that was... Out there who negotiated the terms of surrender. Who was there when Lee surrendered and set the fucking terms of it. How come he was so lax? I'm just saying, dude. You are way more forgiving than I would have been. Like, if it was Sherman and not Grant. (laughs) In case you can't tell, I really have a thing. Like, William Tecumseh Sherman's whole idea during the whole civil war is like god tiered to me he also happened to be the first president of lsu which is something where it's like how many of your university's presidents have ever burned down the city of atlanta during the civil war to destroy the entire mentality of the confederate states of america and the answer is zero and we have one one badass motherfucker anyway yeah that's for another time But it is kind of interesting that there is an entire city that exists in Brazil that was born out of a post-Civil War era. And finally, for all of the ones, we have a man named Benjamin Jesty. Now, Benjamin Jesty was born around 1736, and he died on the 16th of April, 1816. He was an Englishman. He was a farmer at Yetminster in Dorset, England. God, Yetminster, why does that sound so British? Because it is. Anyway, if you're aware of anybody with immunology, early immunology, you're you're aware of a man uh, probably named... Well, Jonas Salk was the dude that did polio. But there's another dude named Edward Jenner. He's the dude that's giving credit for developing the smallpox vaccine. He did so in 1796. The thing is, he was so fucking far off in terms of being the first. He was not the first. Because Benjamin Jesty was probably the first Brit to do this. He was a farmer who was doing early experiments using cowpox to immunize against smallpox. Let me try and say this a little bit better by using the story. So, he was a farmer. Now, when it came to farmers, smallpox was the thing that they all had to worry about, just because it could kill farmhands. And if you know the story of how the smallpox vaccine was figured out, uh, it was by giving cowpox to... I believe the story goes that, like, Edward Jenner gave cowpox to one of his farmhands. They got mildly sick, but got better eventually, and then never contracted smallpox or something. Or no, was then injected with smallpox and then was not having any troubles with it. Well, Jesse figured this shit out in 1774. That's 22 years early. I did the math this time. And so, basically... In 1765, there was a doctor, his name was Dr. Fuster. He was of Thornbury, and he presented a paper to the Medical Society of London entitled, Cowpox and its Ability to Prevent Smallpox. Apparently, all experienced physicians at the time were aware of this, in the 1760s. But, the thing was... If that was so commonly known, how come it's gi- the guy who's giving credit for it isn't giving credit for it until like 30 years later? Thing was, just because you're a physician, that doesn't mean anything. When the farmers know about it, that's when it's bigger. Because, you know, maybe not have access to a physician. So, what did Jesty do? Well, he noticed something when... Him and two of his female servants had been infected with cowpox. There was an epidemic of smallpox in Yetminster in 1774. What Jesty decided to do was he decided to give his wife, her name was Elizabeth, and his two eldest sons immunity. He infected them with smallpox. He took his family to a cow in nearby Chetnoll. Oh my god, Britain, why do you have such cute names? And it had the disease. And then he used a darning needle. Oh my god. Yeah, okay. This was not sterilized, by the way. That's as if you need to know that. He trans... Oh my... Okay, then he took some of the stuff from the cow by scratching their arms. And then the boys had small reactions and then they quickly recovered. Oh, his wife's arm became very inflamed and for a time her condition gave cause for a concern... She recovered fully. Hmm. Oh, apparently his neighbors didn't like this. He was labeled inhuman and was, quote, hooted at, reviled, and pelted wherever his attended market, whenever he attended markets in the neighborhood. The introduction of an animal disease into a human body was thought disgusting and some even, quote, feared their metamorphosis into horned beasts. (laughs) I love old-timey stupidity. My God, we really have to do this kind of stuff more often. Just reading through random articles. Because there are so many stupid things that you hear from old timey stuff. Yeah, it was working. So then, apparently the powers, the interest grew in the 1790s, finally got there. Uh, The thing was, Jesse never published anything. He never published it. And in 1797 he moved from Yetminster and he was at another farm in Worth Matrevers or Matrevers or how do you pronounce this Matrevers Matrevers yeah okay That's that's not a real name my god Britain stop having stupid names Um and he came to the attention of a doctor that doctor's name Andrew Bell Oh my god, yes, this is the quote from the Wikipedia article. He came here, he came to the attention of Dr. Andrew Bell, rector of nearby Swanage, who, possibly encouraged by Jessy's efforts, vaccinated over 200 of his parishioners in 1806. What the fuck is a rector? No, not that one. Now the thing was, Edward Jenner got a bunch of money from the House of Commons for discovering and promoting vaccination. He got 10 grand and then he got 20 grand. Jeezum. Now, of course, that doesn't seem like that much, but I need to double check and see. Here's the interesting thing that you may not have known. The Bank of England has a um an inflation calculator. If you didn't know this. And their inflation calculator goes back all the way to 1209. Yes, 1000 209. So, Edward Jenner received his payment of 10,000 pounds in 1802. Nowadays, that would be 982,155 pounds. So already, he almost got a million. But the thing was, he got another 20,000 pounds in 1807. Now, it won't be the same because of the average inflation, but he then got another adjusted for inflation one million eight hundred fifty two thousand five hundred twenty pounds give or take. So basically, they gave the man two to three million bucks. Two to three million quid, I should say, because it's completely separate and you can't really do the currency conversion. Before this first amount had been war had been awarded. Uh, George Pearson, who was the founder of the original Vaccine Pock Institute. What? Apparently, he'd brought evidence to the House of Commons of Justy's work. But Justy's well-documented case was weakened by his failure to petition in person. And Pearson's inclusion of other claimants whose evidence could not be validated. Ugh. So he couldn't get the shitload of money that he earned. <laughs> hmm. So apparently, that man's name was George Pearson. Uh, if you remember, the the doctor, he's the Reverend Dr. Andrew Bell. Uh, he prepared a paper proposing Justy as the first vaccinator. Sent copies to the original Vaccine Pock Institute and MP George Rose. Bell wrote to the institution again in 1804. And then in 1805 he gave his evidence before 12 medical officers of the institution the original vaccine puck institution on the corner of Broadwick Street and Poland Sleep on the corner of Broadwick Street and Poland Street in Soho his oldest son also made the trip he agreed to be inoculated with the smallpox again to prove that he still had immunity ah he was presented After being cross-examined, he was presented with a long testimonial and a pair of gold-mounted lancets. Well, and then they published it. For the event, Justy's family had tried to persuade him to dress in a more up-to-date fashion, but he refused, saying that, quote, he did not see why he should dress better in London than in the country. By God, you snow... By God, if you know one thing about this man, it's that he was from the British countryside. Oh my goodness gracious. There is actually a portrait of him, which is actually on his uh Wikipedia page. Uh, And what's funny about this is that immediately after his interrogation, uh, he was taken round to the studio of the portrait painter Michael William Sharp. He proved an impatient sitter, and so Mrs. Sharp played the piano to try to soothe him. After a, cher- a checkered history, stop putting Q's where there don't need to be Q's and instead could just be CK's, you British morons. Hey, you know what a Q U E looks better as? A CK. Just saying. Also, why do you call checkers drafts and spell it D R A U G H T S, which looks like draughts? Why do you spell things wrong? Why do the Brits, do you know the, how the Brits spell jail? They spell it G A O L. You don't see that as often because they recognized how stupid that looked, but how in the world does G A O L make any sense? J tends to be a more just sound and the I makes more sense for the diphthong, you dip shits. Anyway, he died in Worth Mattrevers, which sounds actually like the punchline to a really stupid joke from 18... well, 1816, actually. Uh, he died, and he was buried in a prominent position in the parish churchyard. His widow died in 1824 and was buried alongside him. Here's what his headstone reads. To the memory of Ben because J- they couldn't put his full fucking name because they only had so much width with the fucking stone, Jesty of Downshay, who departed this life April 16th a. 16, aged 79 years. He was born at Yetminster in this county, and was an upright, honest man, particularly noted for having been the first person known that introduced the cowpox by inoculation, and who, from his great strength of mind, made the experiment from the cow—that's in parentheses for some fucking reason—on his wife and two sons in the year 1774. Looking at the picture right now, you can barely freaking see it because Wikipedia didn't want to actually put something on there that looked decent. There is one problem that is to be said about his whole thing. Benjamin Jesty was the first person to inoculate against smallpox in Britain. But he wasn't the first to do it. He was the second. Jopst or Jopst Bose of I'm going to butcher this Göttingen Germany in 1769 predated him. So yeah, I um that was just a bunch of stuff. I was just trying to get something out. This is probably not that great. I really think that I'll have a better one for next time. But yeah, again I'm sorry that this one wasn't like you might expect, uh, it was pretty short and all of that, but again, I have to get ready for moving into my apartment, which I'm doing on Saturday, which is again why we're not having an episode come out on Saturday. It'll be on Sunday. And so, um, yeah, that is it for the episode portion. Um, I will have in this episode's description a link to all of the Wikipedia articles that I used, so you can look at them yourself and have fun with them. And if you're bored, always hit the random article option on Wikipedia. I will say this, be forewarned, you can sometimes- I have had one instance where it was like, oh god, why did you show me that one? One instance of it. I won't tell you what it was, but let's just say it was a bad place to have a blood clot. Yeah. So, let's get on with the trivia question for the episode today. And the question is, white slavery is an early 20th century term that referred to what? A, racial equality. B, forced conscription, also known as Uh, being drafted into the army, C, sex trafficking, or D, child labor? The answer to that question will be on the next episode. That's going to be Sunday, like I said. Um, and yeah. So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, like I've said, at capital B E N capital S capital L capital A capital S P O R T S I have been Ben Schluter those really haven't been many outward thoughts those were just some stories but really what does it matter and yeah bye bye